It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And I'm happy and proud to say that we're translating to many different languages for our listeners outside the country. The calling number tonight is 619-924-9744. And the Paranormal and Sacred airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you'd like to help me in keeping Sacred Sunday, uh, we have a little Bible study every Sunday right here at 11 a.m. And uh, it's real simple, and uh, it's an open platform. Okay, we have a few announcements before we get our special guests on tonight. Uh, get your tickets uh, quick because uh, this Saturday we're really looking forward to hearing this rare presentation. It's going to be Debbie Jordan Cowbell will be one of the special guest speakers April 4th, so it's this Saturday. Debbie is also known as Kathy Davis, the subject of Bud Hopkins' best-selling book, and Tracy Torme's TV miniseries, if you remember that, The Intruders, and The Incredible Visitation at Copley Woods. Uh, that was 1992 television series. Anyway, it's going to be this Saturday. Contact www.cerointernational.com. The tickets, I think, are only 15 bucks, and it's uh, here local. I, I think it's taking place in Culver City, but over there, it's all, all the information is listed on the Cero International webpage. And also, uh, Gary Bobroff, this is last week of doing his Archetypical Nature Workshop. And you can get more information on that, www.archetypalnature.com. If you're a youngian or interested in all that and crop circles and the feminism and the man and the he and the she and the youngian of it all, go to that. (laughs) Go to his website, www.gsbobroff, B-O-B-R-O-F-F. Com. He's an interesting person. Anyway, then I must tell you about my wonderful and beautiful and loving friend, Marilyn Salas. You know, Captain Robert Salas, that's his wife. And she created Love's Blessings. And I got my little beautiful kit in the mail, and I've been using it for a month now. It's so beautiful, and it's a blessing to me 
every morning. What it is is a it's a meditation and healing mist. It smells a little bit like incense, but it's very fresh and uh, calming and soothing. And if you want to order this from Marilyn Salas, and it has a beautiful little blue bottle with a jewel on it, you're just going to love it. You can get more info at info at lovesblessing.com, or you can write her, P.O. Box 1075, Ojai, California, 93024, or you can email her, ohaihealer at gmail.com. Now, I want to tell you about a little bit about tonight's guest. Um, he's a prolific award-winning filmmaker and writer, and we're so proud to have him on the show tonight. He's author of the book, Messiah Awakenings, and he refers to Messiah, the Awakenings, as an action-adventure for the soul. In his book, Christ Returns to Face a New World Order, the idea for the Messiah Awakenings came from the realization that maybe our leaders are merely puppets manipulated by a hidden cabal with an insidious agenda. Ron James Internet TV Network, Evolve TV, is a media outlet dedicated to such topics. Ron hosts the online show Bigger Questions, which explores mysteries such as life after death, our place in the universe, and the fusion of science and religion, which he believes is crucial to humanity's future. That's why I like the guy. He specializes in topics that enrich human understanding, and James has covered all kinds of topics, such as new science, the paranormal, metaphysics, and contemporary spirituality. He's won many awards, including he just got an EB. E Award for uh, Best UFO Film and the People's Choice Award for Travis, and it's about Travis Walton's story, and everybody is looking forward to uh, seeing that, and they were asking me a bunch of questions already on Facebook, trying to find out when it's coming out. So right now, I'm going to welcome Ron James to the show. Hi, Ron. You're live with the Paranormal and the Sacred. Hi, Char. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, beautiful Southern California. It couldn't be better tonight. It's nice out here. I know. I'm sitting right now on my balcony in Redondo looking out over the ocean, and it just doesn't get any better. Oh, my God. And the sun's just going down, so you're going to be able to see the sunset. And, gosh, it's beautiful here. And I'm really sorry, folks, that it's still, I think, snowed under back east. I think. Poor thing. But anyway, I want to congratulate you on your two awards. And many of my listeners are really, really involved with, been following for years, Travis Walton, uh, The Fire in the Sky, and the whole thing. And uh, I heard that you got the award and um, because this is like the real deal about Travis. And people have messed up this story so many times. Um, we're really glad you did it right, and they want everybody wants to know when can they see it, you know where the, can they see it? Yeah, well, I've got some things to to say about the film. Um, it was produced by Jen Stein and Peter Robbins and, and Travis, of course, with a little help from Stanton Friedman. And I had some involvement, and I have more involvement as we move forward because I am producing and shooting and directing all of the special effects scenes for the reenactments, as well as helping with the the final final edit. Now, the version of the film that won the EBE Awards is available right now on eBay. Uh, So you could just go to eBay and look up Travis Walton, the movie. Um, The version that's going to have the special effects in it is probably going to be another couple months away. Um, And it's basically going to be the same film, but it's going to have, we're actually reenacting what happened to him on the ship in a very stylistic, very cutting-edge CG way. So it's going to make the film even better. 
Jen and I won the uh, 2012 EBE awards together. So that's uh, 2012, 2013, 20. Yeah, so that's two out of the last three years that, that I've won People's Choice Best Feature at that particular film festival. So it's quite an honor. It's a, it's really a huge honor, and I can remember when everybody was just going out there to do it, and and Peter Robbins is involved too. Yes, Peter Robbins is. I, is I, a I miss this. I love that guy. You know, Peter Robbins yeah, is that. exceptional. He's like a, I don't know, a Wikipedia of the UFO. I mean, he knows everything about everything. Yeah, Peter Robbins is. The more um, I see his work, and the more I get to. Uh, communicate with him, the the more I'm impressed by the scope of what he's brought to the field. Yeah, he's he's amazing, and, uh, you know, it's just an honor to know him, and you're lucky to be working with him, really, both of you guys. And it seems like uh, the powers that be have brought uh, a few people together that really care about the, the topic, and um, Travis was kind of burned by I think it was History Channel and Geography. We really thought we were going to get something, and then it turned into a big stupid thing. So I think this this thing was in the hands of you and everybody else is in good hands. It can really get the story out because he has an important story. Absolutely, and you know Jen Stein was the guiding force in this. Um, I'm I'm humbled by the fact that uh, that I've been able to make a contribution, but I don't want to take too much credit. Uh, even though I, I was there to receive the awards and, and was able to stand on the stage and, and have played a very significant role in the film, um, Jen is really the one who sat down with Travis and said, what can we do to make sure we make this the film that you want it to be? And she did an amazing job. And, um, you know, the whole production team that came together on this was uh, was just amazing. And the film got standing ovations at open minds. And I'm just really, really proud that you involved. That's exciting because that's only that only happened like a matter of a couple of weeks ago, like yes. two three weeks ago. You guys went out there, so that's kind of amazing. So, uh, do you mind if we we start at the beginning because um, my listeners would like to know like where you're from and uh, you know what happened. Like, tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing and uh, you know what led you to what you're doing today. Well, you know, Sharp, I've always felt like I had some sort of a destiny, and um. Like, like to do something that that mattered and, you know, not really be ordinary, so to speak, although I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Um, at a very early age, I was in a broken home, and I read Seth's speech by Jane Roberts, and it kind of planted that seed in my mind of, you know, how expansive reality really is and, and our spirits and, you know, the fact that the illusionary nature of this place really – you feel it instinctively, but it's 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 a real thing. And so I started, you know, having a curiosity along those veins. And then when I got into video production, which was kind of late in my career, um, I was in advertising and graphics before that. But when I got into video production, I was um, I was shooting some stuff in, in Florida, and I had a couple of really transformative experiences. The the first one was I was shooting Spring Break for MTV. And the people from Girls Gone Wild were there, and I helped them. And I came home that day feeling kind of empty. And I was like, you know, I understand what this industry is, but there's got to be a better way to do something with, with this medium. And it was immediately on, on having that thought. Within 24 hours, I read this article by a guy named Peter Gersten, and it was called The Reality of Our Reality. And it talked about how we're all living in a big, giant hologram, and at the center of the universe is the power source. And, 
you know, kind of really far-fetched stuff, but it got me thinking, this is the kind of stuff I want to do. So that led me to the International Conference on Science and Consciousness, where I met Martin Gray, the, the world explorer, who um, is considered one of the biggest experts on sacred sites. And working with him led me to Sedona, Arizona. And I ended up um, being able to stay there for like eight years. And so I started making films like the Bigger Question series about quantum physics and the nature of reality. I started making the metaphysical films that I've done, the Sedona series, and really exploring alternative health, nutrition, contemporary spirituality, and new science. And so I put out about 150 DVDs. Um, and then I realized I had to just get out to L.A. and see if I could um, see if I could get in the big leagues and try to get some of this consciousness spread into mainstream media. Wow, and, you know, it seems to uh, be that uh, this is your gift, and uh, it's, uh, I know that synchronicity is probably uh, has a lot to do with what's, what's going on because we're finding out that the puzzle pieces are coming together for everybody and uh, that everybody's kind of meeting their destiny right now. I don't know if you've had that same feeling that a, a oh, lot absolutely. of us have had. You know, the yeah, whole thing that enabled me to... The whole thing that enabled me to be in Sedona, I didn't, I didn't go into it, but you know, I went out there to work with Martin a couple times, and the third time I went out there, we were trying to sell a show to National Geographic about visiting the sacred sites, and it didn't go well. They didn't think he had the action-adventure element that they needed, and they didn't want the spiritual woo-woo factor in a uh, National Geographic show. And so I went out to do another shoot, and um, I had always said, you know, Sedona seems like a place that I should be, but there was never a practical way to make a living there. Um, it's very, very tough for people. And when I went there the, the last time, um, Martin and I were shooting for a, um, his fitness series, and he went off after we did the shoot, and he fell off a cliff and broke 100 bones and almost died. And oddly enough, I was stuck in his. I was stuck in Sedona. I had a whole truckload full of production equipment. I was in Martin's house. He was in intensive care in the hospital. And um, so I called the local TV station, and I told them, that uh, I did visitor information programming and they had the worst looking channel I ever saw. And they instantly hired me and gave me a year contract to come to <laughs> Sedona. So if Martin would have fallen off a cliff, I would have went back to Florida. And then, you know, him and I, uh, you know, I worked with him through his recovery and he's, he's gone on to publish incredible books and, and we've done projects together, but it was that weird twist of fate that changed my entire direction. And so, you know, that was just one of the many, synchronistic things that, that happen in life. And I think they happen to everybody, but I'm a total believer in synchronicity. Uh, the Celestine Prophecy was a book that really changed my course early on as a young man. Um, made me see a lot of things about human interaction and a lot of things about the way our reality interacts with us. And I'm completely convinced that we're living in a matrix, some kind of a holographic illusion of reality. Uh, and, you know, science is bearing that out. And I seem to feel pretty resonant with the idea that we're here to learn and experience and shape ourselves as individual cohesive beings. And it's so sad that we're living in a world where, you know, it, that doesn't seem to be the, the overall um, understanding that is shared by most of the people here. And I think that if it was, it would change everything about how we exist here. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from with the work that I do is trying to shed a scientific and spiritual light on all of the mysterious phenomena that happen to us in this place because it's 
giving us clues and breadcrumbs that there's so much going on that we don't realize. And it's so easy to get caught in the minutia of the illusion that we forget the whole reason we're here. And then we start killing each other and it's and killing the planet. And none of it makes any sense. <laughs> it doesn't. It's almost, uh, it's almost, well, to me, definitely an evil force that's, that's really focused on tearing us apart as uh, away from each other and apart and just making hatred and greed and wanting more and uh, hatred for simple differences and, uh, you know, like the things that's carrying on Middle East um, Mm -hmm. is so, uh, has impacted me so much because of the, uh, I'm an Orthodox Christian, I'm Greek, and uh, what's happening in the Middle East just hit me hard when they had... uh, massacred those 21 people but they've already got an icon that I I have on my desktop a picture that those were 21 martyrs and there's a picture of an angel giving them their crowns and uh, I thought you know that's the way it's going to be that it's uh, it might be horrible towards the end but then I've been reading I'm going to switch to I said that because I have been reading your book and when did you start your book? You know, that's an interesting story, and thank you so much for, for reading it. Um, I started that book on Christmas Eve of 1999, believe it or not. I was a, uh, I was a young writer, and I was published mm-hmm. already with a lot of short fiction. Um, I, was, I, I, I used to write horror a lot, believe it or not, with a little sci-fi bet. And um, I was the chairman of publicity for the Horror Writers Association, and, you know, I was kind of moving along in that genre. But then I had a, an epiphany, just like the one – with uh, the video production that I just wanted to write something big. And so the idea for Messiah uh, came along because it was like, it started with one thing I was, you know, working with guys like David Icke and stuff. And so I was really aware of, you know, the new world order and the Illuminati and the the stuff that you can prove and the stuff that might be a little far fetched. But the whole idea that that we're being controlled by a, by a, a group of global elite who don't have our best interests at heart. And then it kind of fused in my mind with, well, what would happen if Jesus came back today? Certainly, he couldn't walk around L.A. in a pair of sandals. I mean, he'd have to, uh, he'd have to have a company. He'd have to have infrastructure. He'd have to have attorneys. He'd have to have people working for him. He'd have to buy a plane. You know, he'd have to, have, he'd have to really, you know, it would be a big thing. And what would that actually look like? And so that's where the, the idea for the book came, is to fuse all of this stuff. What would happen if the global elite plotted to use the prophecies of Armageddon to subdue humanity. In other words, we can make all these things happen. We have the technology. We can create uh, plagues that only affect certain people because we can genetically engineer them. We can make earthquakes with harp. We can make faces appear in the sky with holographic projections on satellites. We can subdue people's minds with sound waves being transmitted from cell phone towers. So what if we take that and we make people believe that the end of the world is here and we'll wipe out that significant portion of the population like everybody says they want to. And then the ones that are left are going to be so subdued by the experience that they're going to be completely easy to control through traditional religion. So these guys are off doing that. But what they don't count on is that um, a blue light in the vein of the Star of Bethlehem appears over Los Angeles shortly before Christmas Eve, and a guy that's been in a coma wakes up, and he has embodied Christ. Um, and he returns with the power to things around well you know I was 
I love the premise and also that it's mixed in with uh, what what we believe that some of us believe is going to happen. But I was reading this, and I'll quote it from your book if you don't mind. This is what I found startling. It was actually in the foreword. It was just soon on in the book. Uh, so Time Magazine is interviewing Dr. Peter Farakas, Bible scholar yep. and leading expert in prophecies of Revelation. One thing okay. that you'll notice this, about the characters in the book is that they're all named. They're all named after either the apostles or, um, like, the main character that plays opposite of the return Christ is Mary, and it delves yes, into I their And so, yeah, I noticed throughout the book where these people come back, and it's, the apostles have actually reembodied in different places on the planet. And um, it's not something that we really come out. and but you, the reader gets the opportunity to put two and two together as the story progresses. Yeah, I I did about Mary. I did. I said, oh, okay, I see what he's doing, you know. And but this little word and why I mentioned what's going on in the Middle East is this is by you know Peter and uh, the, uh, the Time magazine asked him about his work and his viewpoint on the prophecies that many religion are unfolding in our time. And then this is his answer. You know, what are your views? This is your answer, and this is what I felt um, kind of shocked about, because I don't know if uh, if this part is fiction or the truth, but the, but <laughs> the paragraph seems <laughs> to be uh, reality. Okay, it says, as things appear to further... I can tell you the book where... Okay, oh, tell me. Okay. Let oh, me read it and tell me. The... Yeah, go ahead. Okay. As things appear to further deteriorate, many in mainstream religions seem to be embracing mankind's suffering demise. It is heralded, even celebrated, as a final validation of age-old doctrines. It has become apparent to me, as our scientific and spiritual understandings evolve, that this is archaic and may become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Even become self-fulfilling, sorry. Anyway, I was shocked because of what's going on right now. It's like that's the... It's like the validation of age-old doctrines when you're seeing Christians being paraded in the streets on TV. It's it's surreal to me. Yes. Yeah. Well, you and, know, and you were writing this in '99. I was, and you know, one thing that I've had to go through several rewrites of the book, and one of the reasons it took me so long to finish is because um, I really had to spiritually evolve to be able to write a character like the Return of Christ. I mean, what does he say? He has to be right all the time, and so. I was I didn't feel like I was in a position to do it until seven years in Sedona and following all these pathways and studying all the things that I studied. But um, one of the things that kept happening to me as I went and wrote and rewrote the book is that things that I would write kept coming true. And so I would have to rewrite entire sections because the stuff that I was prophesying as early as 1999 as I wrote the book actually happened. You know, I, I wrote in there in that same interview about how 20, uh, the, the Y2K thing came and went without a hiccup. Well, that was a year before Y2K. And so <laughs> it's like, um, you know, I, I just... Yeah. And, and that's just one example of, of the things that, that I wrote that came to pass as I wrote them. And I'm not saying like I'm some kind of prophet, but I do feel a, um, a divine partnership in this book. Definitely. And uh, you make some, uh, you know, powerful statements in, in uh, you know, this this part of your book. And um, it says, uh, 
unfortunately, churches have become so centered on staying viable and controlling their followers that they now farther away from embracing commonality than ever. Isn't it so? Isn't, you know, people it are is. taking these stands and these these lines that got even worse. Uh, if you're really true about your religion, you mourn over this. You're mourning over uh, people being uh, taken away from each other or all the negativity that's, that's coming down about, let's say, uh, you're not uh, gay-friendly or whatever. You know, the big thing is right as of today. Uh, you know, I, I just don't believe that uh, that has any part in religion or your beliefs and the hatred uh, is not part of it either, but it's there. Well, I think that, um, you know, organized religion kind of creates its own um, dichotomies and its own reasons to be separate and to form people into polarized groups of people. And, you know, let's look at, at the reality of it. The people in the Middle East, the extremists, they foresee a completely different form of prophecy as the Christian prophecies, but all of the prophecies, these two major religions, indicate that, you know, there's a, there's a terrible calamity coming for mankind. And so if you have somebody that's devoutly part of that religion, then, and then that is collectively spread throughout the entire uh, mindset of, of these people, then you, you have people that are welcoming the end times. You'll hear sometimes, and I, I don't want to blast religions, but you do hear sometimes Christian churches saying, oh, it's God's, God's time, it's over. It, how can we really survive when we have so many people that think that the only thing that's going to make things better is the end of the world as we know it? Exactly. And, and is that really productive? No, well, not in my opinion. Uh, uh, this is what I say because you know I get some. Sometimes the, you know, people are telling me that over and over. I'm like, wait a minute. Finally, you know, this one old lady. I won't tell you what old lady I'm talking about. Told me another thing in the world. Now she gave me another time. It was probably you know 2000. But anyway, I finally turned around and said to her, I said, "Old woman, why does the world have to end to make you happy? You're going to meet your maker soon. You know, we exactly. all are." You know, you know what I'm saying? But I had yeah. to say it. I'm frustrated. You can't tell. No, I don't, I don't blame you a bit. You know, I, when I was younger, I pretty much thought that we were due. I didn't have pulled out much hope for humanity at all. But since I've been doing a lot of the work that I'm doing, I just finished doing a piece with Jerome Glad, the, uh, the founder of the Millennium Project. So we talked about the 15 biggest challenges facing humanity, and they're big. But what's really amazing is that there's a lot of intelligent, smart, capable people working on this stuff worldwide and they're crossing borders and they're crossing religions and they're crossing beliefs and they're crossing governments and they're working together. And so for every every negative that we say like, oh we're overfishing the oceans. Well that's true, but we have technology now that can turn that around and we've proven it. So, you know, you can walk around with this dismal look about the future of humanity. And certainly if we don't turn things around we're gonna have some serious hiccups. But there's a lot of point in believing that we have to face this untimely demise and the end of civilization as we know it. I think uh, I think that we are controlling that car. And if enough of us believe that it doesn't have to crash into the wall, just like Peter says in this article, um, and not, then we can turn it around. Yeah, I believe that we, in a strange way, are turning it around. Um, okay, so I know a lot of the people, we know a lot of the same people, and uh, all these people, I have found, we, we have some very interesting discussions about 
our spirituality and our personal journey and things that are challenging us and um, that what has it brought us to a new level of understanding. But then we're also seeing some very pretty dang odd things, odd. You know, I've, uh, being an experiencer, I've seen things, you know, and then uh, there's been more surreal and very odd things going on. And we're talking about that, that uh, uh, I think something's happening, meaning I think, you know how they say the veil is, is thinning? Sure. I think that, I think that uh, uh, dimensions are thinning. You know what I mean? I, I'm absolutely with you. I think that, you know, as we become more aware collectively of the illusionary nature of this reality, and as science kind of comes to us and says, well, wait a minute, we're starting to think maybe this universe is a hologram and, and here's why, um, then it leaves us with some undeniable questions and answers that change the way we perceive our existence. And so as we kind of wise up to what's really going on around us, the illusion cannot maintain itself in the same nature that it has maintained itself. Yes, and I think that uh, people that uh, have had all kinds of weird experiences uh, that they're, they have in a way, and then some that have suffered a lot, you know, some some have had ill health, and some, you know, a lot of weird things happening in their life, they lost loved ones or something like that, all this dramatic things that have been uh, a test to their spirituality, but somehow has brought them to a different level of awakening. Mm-hmm. And and so, I think know, you even... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I kind of almost compare it to a video game. You jump in, you know, you get killed. Oh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But then you jump back out and you're in a whole different place. And and what happened to you there wasn't as real or as significant as it seemed at the time. And um, so, yeah, this place is for those things. It's it's to experience suffering. It's to experience building yourself as as a spiritual being by, you know, trial by fire and trial by light. Um because where else would you do it? You, you know, this is like a sandbox reality where you can't really hurt yourself, but you don't realize that until you're out of it looking back. And it's like, oh, yeah, it was, I, I jumped in, I did this thing, I, I suffered this to experience what that is and what kind of decisions I'd make about what I was going to become when I was in that kind of situation. And it forges us into, um, you know, spiritual beings that have the uh, evolution to not disrupt the whole but still maintain our individuality. And so I think that there's a, you know, that that's really one of the primary reasons for this place. Well, but me too. I, I believe class is in session and that we have a lot to learn and that our, if, if we believe we have a creator and higher power, which I do, I believe that higher power has a purpose for everything. You know, even the suffering, that's hard to take. You know, it's hard to even listen to if you lose a loved one sure. or something like why, you know, you can't, face it, I've had to go through that, but what happened is that through the loss of one, a person very, very dear to me, uh, something happened to me, you know, I didn't know what it was, was going to transform part of me into being a very strong person, I've always thought I was strong, but in this area, I just wanted to die, because of who it was, you know, and it was a little, uh, my young niece, and uh, she didn't deserve that, and so... But what it did is uh, gave me a broader perspective on 
you can live through uh, pain and you can grieve and then one day uh, you just understand something. Well, I think that there's just so much more to our overall essence that, you know, while we're here and while we're locked in this room, those kind of things seem so traumatic. But I'm sure that your niece is somewhere right now in a evolved form. And, yes, she um, is. And, and that, you know, what how it affects us while we're here, it's it's all part of the illusion. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, skinning your knee. It, it Yeah, it hurts. But in the big scheme of things, um, it wasn't that big a deal because there's way more going on. And I don't think that us as human beings have the brains or the capacity to really comprehend the whole breadth of, of what all of this means and why it's all here. But I think the faith in... Um, you know, just in understanding your own self and, and going inside enough to realize that there's way more to you than, than you see. And that's why I like to do this work right now. My, my, one of my topics that I cover with my TV show, Bigger Questions, is really coming up with scientific validity for what we see in paranormal and mysterious circumstances. And so if we have a ghost phenomenon, well, what is quantum physics telling us now that might explain that? Or if we have the whole UFO situation with aliens, well, where are they coming from and how are they getting here? What is science now telling us that might explain that? You know, because as we begin to understand these mysteries, they're not mysteries anymore. They're, they're perfectly legitimate phenomena. They are. And uh, can I ask you a question about something that you said uh, that you wrote, I mean, on this page? Um, you say that, that, okay, it's interesting to note that per capita ratio of people killed in violent conflicts today is the lowest in history. Now, is that true? Yeah. That you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's actually pretty interesting that while we sit here and we, we talk about, because I honestly believe that, you know, with the, well, before ISIS came along, I believed that, um, yeah, the violent conflicts, if you haven't noticed, we don't have countries going to war with each other anymore. We have factions going to war with each other. We have extremists going to war with each other. But, um, you know, the United States didn't go to war with the country of Afghanistan. We went to war with some people inside of it. The, uh, even the Soviets are not going, the Russians aren't going to war with Ukraine. They're, going to get, they're fighting, you know, factions within it. City states are not fighting each other anymore, and people are not, um, you know, we, we look at a time in, in history where we had Vlad the Impaler cut people's heads off and stuck them on sticks by the thousands just to mark his territory. We have times when, um, when warfare was way more brutal. We had times when people died in incredible amounts. You know, look at how many people died in the Civil War of the U.S. based on how many people were part of the population. It was very significant. And so what I say by that is, you know, the per capita number of people based on the global population that are dying this way is way smaller than it's ever been, and that's true. And the, uh, the, the way in which we're resolving conflicts, we, we're still pretty brutal, and especially when we see these crazies like ISIS in the Middle East. But that being said, um, we're a lot less brutal than we used to be. We, we tend towards diplomacy. We tend towards working together. You know, um, we have evolved as a species, and, that, and, and I say that in the book just to point that out. That yes, there, there is a huge positive evolution over the last few centuries. Wow. And then just, uh, just uh, something just happened, you know, yesterday. 
uh, and I'm going to quote uh, Robert Salas. He's Captain Robert Salas. You know him? Oh yeah. Never, yeah. Okay. So this is what uh, he just he just wrote and posted. Uh, he's saying, "What just happened? Let's all appreciate this moment in our history." It says representatives from China, Russia, UK, France, the United UN, US, European Union, excuse me, the US, and all nuclear powers sat down at a table and convinced the nation of Iran. They did not need nor want nuclear weapons, and they all agreed on how they would that would be accomplished and verified. There are no shots fired, no one was killed, and they jointly made the announcement to the world. This is pretty phenomenal since it wasn't long ago that one of our uh, Bush presidents uh, announced that Iran was the part of the axis of evil. Could it be that nations are learning to cooperate with each other on matters of great importance? Could this idea of peaceful negotiations with a nation wanting nuclear weapons succeed again? And... Maybe some countries who have nukes, like Israel, would like to get rid of theirs. We can hope. Anyway, I think E.T. is smiling yesterday. Because <laughs> remember, his big thing was that he was trying to fire off a nuke. Now, for people that don't know who Captain Robert Salas is, he was uh, firing a nuclear missile, remember Montana Missile Range, uh, in, uh, this had to be the 60s, I think, 50s. Anyway, I met him out in Roswell for a conference. That's the first time I met him, but uh, he's pretty right on with that statement. But what do you think about that? It's kind of amazing that they're even talking. Well, I, yeah, I, I can't even hardly is. believe it, really. <laughs> I, I think really it, it, it illustrates what I mean. You know, humanity yeah. certainly is evolving. I don't know if we're evolving positive enough or fast enough, but we are evolving. Um, as, a, as a collective species and the way we manage the planet. And it's just an example of that. I mean, so many warmongers, especially in the United States, because we have an economy that is based on defense companies and, and let's keep the missiles going out and let's keep the wars small but keep them going and let's keep the bombs flying. Um, it's, it's a sad realization that if, if defense manufacturing ground to a halt right now and there was no need for uh, sidewinder missiles and tomahawks, uh, huge swaths of the population would be looking for work, and, and we'd probably hit another recession. But Obama led, and I'm not a big Obama fan. I think he's done a lot of things wrong, but, but he led that way in saying, okay, enough of this. And, you know, what's really funny is, is that the people of Iran, you know, my, my girlfriend is, is Persian, and she grew up in Iran during the Iran-Iraq war. And so I, I'm very familiar with these people and their culture, and they're they're not bad people, and they love the United States. And there's no reason it, it would be another um, holocaust to go to war with a country like that and, and decimate the population. And so I'm glad we're averting it. And you know we got to count on Iran to be an honest player, but um, yeah, it's a huge positive sign. Well, even historically, you know, I have a lot of Persian friends and. We've sat down and talked, and some of them are uh, half uh, Muslim and half uh, uh, Zoroastrian, which is a lot like Christianity. And we sat down and had talks, and that if the world had, had, had dipped and changed just a little bit, we would all be like on Zoroaster or something else. And uh, it's just uh, uh, kind of an amazing thing, and they're beautiful people. You know, just just yeah. just they're wonderful. So, but if you don't understand them, or if you don't take the time, you know, to learn, and, and I think we we have to learn to get interested and actually love all their culture, so we're not so afraid. And I think you know, if you really love them, okay, go ahead. 
well, I was going to say, especially in the case of Iran, the government and the people are on complete. It's interesting to note that in Iran, people of Jewish faith live side by side with people of Muslim faith and people of Christian faith, and nobody's persecuting Jews in Iran. They, they, they live very peacefully, and, and their their beef is with the politics of Israel and the fact that, yeah. that well, their, their perception that, that Israel has abused the, uh, the people around it. Um, so, it's, you know, we get a lot of propaganda, but we need to look at the real situation. And I'm not saying that, that Iran is, is in a position of, um, you know, being right in, in their view of Israel. But what I am saying is there's two sides to every story, and I think that peace is definitely the proper path in dealing with Iran. Right. You know, I, I agree in that uh, the same way with, uh, you know, who is sitting down at the table to, say, Russia and China. Now, just not that long ago, we were bitter enemies with Russia. You know, well, we're not, not horrible, yeah, you know, we're, not, we're not best friends. I mean, it's all kind of sneaky, you know, to me. We're yeah. friends, haha. You know, there's some weird stuff happening. I know that's happening, but... You know, it's different than what was happening when the when the Cold War was going on. You know that uh, you know I have uh, friends that actually moved to Russia to go study and do stuff like that. I now feel that they they went to uh, you know study and then come back and get <laughs> or something. I don't know because I thought it was very odd. But anyway, so they're living in Russia and I'm getting the big story about what's going on then, meaning. You know, there's no. You never get the size shoes you wear, or you stand in line and line and line of food uh, just to get some food, and just it's just terrible poverty and all that. Now all of a sudden, everybody's running around with suitcases of money. You know what I mean? And buying, you know, houses with cash. It's 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 really odd. That <laughs> well, that's because Russia. Uh, Russia quit it. spending all of Russia quit spending all of its money on its military. It quit supporting all of these because in order to maintain the Soviet Union, Mother Russia had to spend money, money, money on all these countries that didn't really support themselves because they were communists. And the communist form of government kind of encourages people to do as little as possible. And if you want something extra, just be corrupt. So the Soviet Union collapsed because Russia couldn't afford to continue to, to support all these little countries. And then they got, you know, mineral rich and they got, um, uh, resource rich, and they were able to export natural gas and oil. And Vladimir Putin came in and, and kind of, yeah, he's running an oligarchy, but he's made it better for the average Russian. So that's why he's so popular. Yeah. Uh, it's still a, a beautiful country. I like to say to my Russian friends and peeps, and that, um, however, very strange things are going on. I was actually in the laundromat, I remember this, a couple of years ago, and I was talking to this young girl, and she was selling these Russian little Russian dolls, you know, the ones that fit inside the other ones? Yeah. And I did think it was a peculiar thing to run into her. Yeah, I'm telling you now, and it's going to even sound weirder. You know, so I asked her, I said, you sound, you sound Russian. Are you from Russia? She said, yes. I said, what part of Russia? She said, Siberia. So I said, okay, so you're selling these dolls, in, and I was in Manhattan Beach. You're selling these dolls in Manhattan Beach, California, in a laundromat in Manhattan Beach. How do you get from there, from Siberia to here? Like, how did this happen? I can't really remember what she told me because she left. 
<laughs> but I thought that was a weird run-in. Like, it's a very odd, peculiar thing. Well, you know, here, here, here's know. the thing. Russia, China, all of these other countries, including Iran, they're all infiltrating the United States. Um, it, it, the, the, yeah, we're never going to have a huge world war because we're integrating our societies. China is, is I believe, um, has a complete agenda to come in and in, integrate into. They're buying the real estate. They're starting the businesses. They're getting their people in. They're having their babies in the U.S., so they're U.S. citizens. Um, Iran, I mean, the, the Persian community in the United States is huge. And these aren't people that are disenfranchised like Cubans from Fidel Castro. These are people that fly back and forth all the time. So it's probably a good thing because it's gonna. it means that, that we're, you know, people say, oh, we're going to have a war with China. I don't think so. I think that, you know, there's going to come a time when everything's so integrated. That who are you going to have a war with? You know, half the you yeah. know, a good fraction of the people living in, in Los Angeles are Asian now. So you're going to kill your own people? Um, <laughs> we are truly becoming a global society. We really are. All, all the people that are, like, freaking out about the New World Order, blah, 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 some elements of that are not a bad thing. A new world order that has an evil agenda and seeks to subjugate humanity, that's a bad thing. But a global consortium that runs this planet in a consistent way and makes sure that everybody, the least of us, has at least the basics to survive, that's probably going to be a good thing. That is. And uh, I think that also, I, what do you think about uh, the influence of the ET? That uh, are we being influenced? by extraterrestrials and uh, what do you think they're doing? Well, you know, I've been involved in the ET question for a long time. I made the Disclosure Dialogues, which was the, um, right. one of the documentaries about Disclosure and also um, five discs of everybody, including Peter Robbins and Paul David and Steve Bassett and... Um, Richard Dolan and George Knapp and George Norrie. I mean, everybody talking about the topic. I think that Obama's appearance where he said, yeah, I can't talk about it. They keep us under a tight yeah. rein, blah, blah. I mean, he was he was telling it like it is. Anybody who's paying attention. He was. He didn't lie. He, If you watch, listen to that, then I even listened to the, did you watch the, the teardown about it, the little film about it? Uh, explaining yeah. his uh, body language and stuff. So I watched that whole thing, too. And it's true. He never lied the whole time. He never said no, no. to me. And when I made Disclosure Dialogues, the main film that won the 2012 EBE Awards, it won People's Choice and Best Feature. And for those who don't know what the EBE Awards are, they're the it's a film festival at what used to be the Laughlin UFO Conference and that is now Open Minds. So it's pretty much the biggest gathering um, in the field. And so it's not insignificant to win those awards. Um, the uh, the last thing I say in the movie is disclosure. It's already happened. The rest is details. And I honestly believe that. I think that anybody who expects, you know, Obama to show up flanked by two gray aliens and announce all the lies might be waiting a long time. But anybody who wants to know what's going on only has to spend a short amount of time looking. The evidence is overwhelming. Sorry. Yes, it is. Um, and so, you know, uh, the it, ET's role, um, opinions vary. And there's probably a lot of ETs with a lot of different agendas for the planet. Um, there's probably some universal consortium that kind of controls what they can and can't do by uh, by decree and by, uh, you know, collective.
treaty. And um, I think that we are in control of our own fate. So there's probably a group of aliens who would like to just harvest the planet for the pure energy the, and anything else they might get out of it. But they, they're being prevented from doing that because we have earned the right to be self-determining. If we get to a point where it's obviously there's no hope, then one group of aliens might be able to get their agenda. If we evolve as a species to the point where we're worthy of being welcomed into some galactic civilization, then a whole other set of aliens get their agenda. There's a, you know, there's a lot of players out there. And I think to think otherwise and to not understand that on a gut level is just not really looking at the bona fide evidence that's out there. That's right. And, and now people are saying uh, stranger things than ever, really, because I have witnessed uh, a few kind of parallel universe uh, things going on, and some of it in broad daylight. As a matter of fact, two occurrences in broad daylight, and I, I don't understand it, but I'm not the only one who's seen the exact same thing. Well, that all has to do with the veil. And, you know, people, yeah. I hear this argument all the time. Are they interdimensional? Are they coming from distant places in the universe? Are they, you know, where are they coming from? And I don't really think there needs to be these big lines of distinction because, you know, you might be 10,000 light years away and you might have to tra- traverse a dimension to, to make it here. You know, that might be how wormholes work. So I think that the answer is probably all of the above. And when we really begin to get a better grasp of how all that stuff works, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, duh. Of course it was it was all of the above. Everything works synchronistically. Yes, it does. And, um, I, and I, don't, I don't know why because uh, I have heard, you know, we've speculated before, but now that me and a few other people are starting to see things, like, uh, um... You know, I've said it a couple of times, but it's just weird because I, I just keep going down the same street thinking, where is that? I had a, this is what I thought I saw. This happened last Monday. I thought I saw a movie being run on the back of a beautiful mirrored truck. You know how some of those big tankers can be really like a very shiny? Well, this uh-huh. looks like a square back of a truck, but it was a shiny like a mirror, and they were playing a, mo- playing a movie on it. And it was a movie of a, like a country road uh a vintage kind of movie. And I thought, oh, man, I've got to catch up to that and see that. That's kind of amazing. I didn't know they could do that. So I'm racing down my street. It's right near my house. And this is near Crenshaw. You know where the bridge is? Uh, You're going to Torrance Boulevard. You know what I mean? You're going to the bridge and you hit Torrance Boulevard near Crenshaw, near the refinery. Yeah, Yeah, so that's where it is. So I'm racing down this back. I'm kind of following the railroad tracks. And then I turn the corner because I'm still watching the movie until I turn the corner, and then all of a sudden I don't see anything. No, there's no, tr- there was no truck there, but because I had changed, whatever I was looking at uh, was no longer. I wasn't able to see it anymore. But what it looked like was a square mirror, a huge one, like the size of the okay. back of a truck. That in my mind, I put a truck there that wasn't there, but that's the way I explained it to myself. And uh, there was playing like a vintage road movie. It was weird. I'm on a road seeing a vision of a mirror on a road. It was weird, a vintage thing. And then I found out not only a couple of my friends have seen the same exact thing, but that um, when the investigator I was talking to, he said there was a a bunch of people, I think 150 people on an airplane, right? 
all of a sudden they saw a black screen drop from the sky and start playing a movie. They all uh-huh. saw it. Okay. Now, very what does this mean? I don't. It's very strange. That's what I. That's what I was trying to, to to let you know if you understood what I was talking about. Of strange things going on, like weird stuff like that. Of course, you know. Like you know that that's you're you're within a couple miles of the takeoff and landing um, field for the Goodyear blend. <laughs> I know a blimp and, from and, a and mirror. At night, the Goodyear blimp makes movies in the sky. <laughs> no, it's not the blimp. Now, you know I can hear the blimp, and, you know, I, of course, we're right near the blimp. The blimp is gray. This was a mirror, square, shiny mirror, which I thought was, I've seen trucks look like that, you know, and this was closer to the ground. You know, well, see, back the truck is, uh, as we begin to figure out the illusion of reality, um, yeah. cracks begin to appear, and we begin to see them. Because it's That's uh, what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. I'm actually working on an idea for uh, a sci-fi show that involves that, um, about the uh, the very nature of reality starting to come unglued um, due to some nefarious reason. But it, it starts off with little things. It's like you reach in your pocket to grab a dime and it's a peanut, you know, and, and just weird little things start to happen that affect reality in such a way that we can't really account for it anymore. And it just gets worse and worse. And, um, you know, it's an interesting idea. But um, it kind of plays into what you're talking about. Yeah. Is that reality and, Well, the other people that saw this said that they were on a, a vintage dirt road that was back like in the 70s or something. I saw the same thing a couple months later, which, you know, which is for me last week. But I saw it as a picture on a mirror. I knew that I wasn't on an old country road. You know what I'm saying? They thought yeah. they were in it. I was observing it from the outside trying to chase it down. Right. So very, very odd. <laughs> very odd. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know how much I can tell uh, because uh, you happen to know the two parties. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, now let's get to Chapter 2 because there is a, something that I really love about this book and I think it's because uh, I really started seeing you as a seeker when I was reading this. I went, oh, I'm, I'm starting to get him and what he's, what he's doing. And uh, you're talking about Muhammad Assad and uh, that he is in the bottom of the pit and he begins to uh, so-called hallucinate. But what's really, tell us what's really happening here. Tell well, us a little bit okay. about this part of the story. The character Mohammed Assad is a terrorist who was running just brutal operations in the Middle East until he was kidnapped by these people who literally hire him to be the Antichrist. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? So the uh, the, the guys that are, are running this show um, could put him into a place of power. But while he's in this pit, he's looking at his demise, and he is uh, he's reliving the glory of his works. And the ghosts of the people that he killed haunt him and he really he just is living in this black pit having a surreal um, almost uh, um, paranormal experience that lasts for you know months while he's down there but but he is destined to be a huge a huge uh, player in, in the scenario but 
without giving too much away to the story, Assad never really reconciles his true beliefs with the agenda of his handlers. So uh, it it creates a very interesting dichotomy. Very much so, and I I really like this part too. And then then you start talking about uh, Mary. Now you had a couple different Marys, right? Mary Martin is the one you're talking about in Chapter 3. And, uh, you know, she suffered because uh, she has seen a lot of killings. Oh, you know what? We actually changed Mary Bentoncourt to Mary Martin. So it's actually the same person. Okay. Then maybe maybe right. it escaped one of the uh, synopsises. But I did some last-minute name changes right before I published. Okay, yeah. But yeah, so Mary and, Martin is is the same. Yes, and she's okay. You know, and, but I got kind of mad about something you said in here. <laughs> okay. You said, even though it was beautifully said, and I will read it. But then, if you call, the, okay, this is what you said. She tell drive studied. She tell she tell drive setting herself in the mirror. At 35, middle age wraps itself around her curves like the slow, sheer caress of a lover with death on his mind. And when you said 35 was middle age, I went, what the hell? <laughs> middle age, I must be like ancient history now. That was my, that's all my criticism is. That's it. Hello? Oh, darn it. Hold on a minute, guest. I'll get you back in. Hold on, we're calling back our guest. Hi, I'm not sure what happened, but (laughs) okay, don't worry, I got you back on, so uh, it's fine. So I was taken aback by the fact that you wrote "Middle Ages 35." Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I, technically, but I like what you wrote, but I just got slightly offended. I went, "What the hell?" I, I'm 35. I don't said that middle age is 35. I think I said that middle age is beginning to creep up on her, and I had to time okay. her, her, her. Um, and so at 35, middle age is beginning to creep up on you at best. Um, and I think mm-hmm. I expect from the time I started the book till the time I till now has increased enough that that might not be true anymore. Yes, I'm saying. <laughs> I think it should have been forty-five. Yeah, I, I didn't say That's just I, my I, opinion, I okay? Middle age. I, I said yeah. that middle age beginning to, to creep up on her. Um, and you know, actually, that's one of my most beautifully written passages of the book. You know, like the gray it's spider so web. Read, yeah, read that part. It's 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 like pretty amazing. I, I want love people it. To know okay, I'm gonna read this. Okay, I'm gonna read it because it's so beautiful. Comes from, uh, yes, but you're, it's, it's, you write so beautifully. Okay, so I highly recommend this book, people. Go out and get it. But anyway, okay, she tells You can get it on Kindle. It's the only place right now. So, okay, you can get it on Kindle. I went ahead and went over to Amazon, and that's where I found it. And so yep. I have a, I'm lucky to have a copy. Okay, so uh, she tells Dry studying herself in the mirror. At 35, middle age wrapped itself around her curves like the slow, sure caress of a lover with death on his mind. Gray peppered her hair, strands of a spider's web that would one day steal her. Her eyes looked hollow and tired, her face a reflection of her mounting indifference to the promise of another day. 
beauty once hers was slipping away faster than it should, but she really she didn't really care. She had no one to share it with and no reason to fight the fires of time. That was beautiful. Now, now you have to understand that this is a woman who lost her husband to Ebola, watched him die, and she's working in the emergency room, or actually she's in the long-term care unit of, of a hospital where she sees nothing but death every day. And society in the story is coming apart at the scenes. And so, yes. you know, this isn't a happy human at this point in the story. But, I mean, trust me, later on, things take a big turn. But, yes, I mean, this this whole passage and this whole section where we illustrate what's happening for Mary is that she is in a state of despair, and, and with good reason. And, you know, the... Uh, uh, a lot of the themes in the book, especially as you, you find out what, what's happening with these reincarnated apostles in different parts of the world, they're all men of faith, encountering incredibly terrible things. And, um, you know, it's about deeper despair and, and greater purpose. And so right. for every low that comes in the book, it's, it's, re, it's, it's compensated by an incredible high of, you know, oh, my God, this is, this is possible. Yeah, it is, and, it, and it's, uh, you know, you, you did very well. I really love the writing, and I, I know that's why it took so long to do it, because you're really talking about these things that are uh, so important to many of us, and it's timely, because it's actually, it reads like it's taking place in the now, and uh, I, I really think this would be a fabulous movie. I don't know if you're planning on, doing anything like that. Yeah, the, the screenplay is in the works, and, you know, I'm trying to get to Roma Downey's people to at least take a look at this book. Um, you know, she did the Bible, and she's done the new series AD. Um, but, you know, what I, what I really need is for people out there to just take a look at it. If you're Ken, Amazon Prime, Kindle, you can read it for free. And if you just Kindle, you can buy it for very inexpensive, and you can, um, you can watch it or read it on any format. You don't have to have a Kindle. Um, device. So, yeah, I'd, I'd really be appreciative of people that took a look at this book. It's it's very significant. It is a significant, and uh, I just feel like you know that that in it that uh, because I that's why I was questioning and asking you is this real because it was coming off as real, but you know if you were writing prophecy down and then it was happening, it is real. And uh, uh, what can I say, because I don't want to embarrass you, but, you know, it's kind of amazing that uh, how everybody, we we need each person that is approaching all these subjects and the paranormal and the ET thing and the spirituality. We need each person because cause you make it fit in a certain way. You know, you're part of the puzzle that's going on. Well, you know, I, I I totally resonate with what you're saying because I think that there are, I call this the quantum nature of reality. And what I mean by that is that a lot of things can be true at the same time. And I think once humanity gets that, then they can quit arguing about who's right. You know, the, the Sunnis and the Shias can just chill. And the Jews and the Christians can just calm down. A lot of things don't have to be there it doesn't have to be a black and white reality because the nature of reality is very fluid and and we shape our own reality in a certain way so if people could understand that you can be right and i can be right and both of us can have a different viewpoint 
we can quit fighting about who's right. And, and you know, so very many people coming to a topic with a lot of different viewpoints only enlarges the ability of other people to comprehend and get on the same page. And even if agreeing to disagree, but understanding that that's okay is the result, hey, it's a fantastic result. It is a fantastic result. You know, um, and then and the, another part that really touched me uh, deeply and others is that many of us, and I've had a, a couple of them now, one extremely profound, because I think I passed away in my sleep. And what happened is the Blessed Mother came for me. And uh, she was going to come and take me with her, but uh, what ha- it's a whole big long dream, but I'll just uh, just say what happened was is I was going out to her. Uh, she was standing in the ocean, and it was like a bunch of, of, of very thunderous waves and everything, and clouds and everything. And she was coming for me, and uh, I started hearing people on the shore singing an amazing grace to me to try to have me come back, which it worked. I turned around because I noticed, and I came back. But you were uh, also had mentioned in your book about the Blessed Mother and that um, it was a, this was about um, uh, your character says, perhaps the Blessed Mother was listening to his thoughts and uh, waiting for him to cast aside all doubt and hear her words. If so, then her only reply was a gentle rustle of leaves and the cry of a distant bird. And uh, a deep rain of somber and blended emotion fell from the man, and tears welled in his eyes. And these tears are not for himself, but for the millions of people blinded and and deceived. And uh, I just thought that it would really touch me that you brought up the Blessed Mother, because many of us are actually dreaming about her. You know, um, you're talking about the scene where we introduce Philippe, who is obviously Philippe comes back. And and Philip is a he is a priest in an extremely uh, degenerating Catholic church in Central LA, and so he's seeing the best and the worst of what's happening, and he's and he's crying for it, and so he is looking for these connections with these spiritual um, uh, illustrations to come to him and 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 help him, and he still believes in them. And one of the things that I do with the book is I use the character sketches to to illustrate the state of the world in the book. And so at the same time you're going deep inside of a character and his feelings and his thoughts, you're also learning about, you know, how bad off the world is at this particular point in, in the novel. And, um, you know, I, I really got to, to create some characters with so much depth and so much emotion in the way I wrote them that, you know, I read this book now to this day and I'm just like, wow. Wow, uh-huh. you know, and I, I'm not bragging on my own work because I don't, you know, I, I'm just a, 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 an instrument for this kind of thing, and it's just like it, it's amazing to me that that uh, it is what it is. Yeah, um, that happened to me because I, I actually am at the end of a book that I've been writing for. It's taken me forever too, but uh, it's about uh, all my spiritual experiences and things like that. When I look back. Uh, of what I wrote, I went, you know, it's not me writing. It's almost like, um, I don't know, I'm just, you know you're, you're guided to write something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if there's anybody out there trying to write something, you know, let me let me give you a word of uh, experience. Please and that is, help us because I know a lot I, of writers. I have, found, I have found that when you get to the point 
where you're rewriting the same paragraph but you're not changing what you said, it's time to leave it alone. Um, hmm. So war, I used to, you know, I've won a lot of awards for poetry, and I've, I write a lot of, I've written a lot of songs. And so this whole poetic way of writing that, that, I, that I employ, I spend so much time, uh, you know, hanging on the words and the prose, which is part of my style. But at the end of the day, there's people that are going to read the first page of this book and go, oh, I can't read this. It's too flowery. Um, so say what you have to say very succinctly and care more about the message and the energy that you're conveying than the words. I see so many, especially beginning writers, that just struggle with rewriting a sentence a hundred times, and it's just, it's totally not necessary. Uh, you're right, because either they're going to care about what you're writing or they're not. You just have to write and uh, be, the, like you said, the instrument and just keep writing. You know, I just have to edit the whole thing because it's, you know, I just kept writing, now i got to edit, and I dread going back and doing the edits, and that's where I'm, that's why I'm stuck where I am. So you know the show is the uh, the paranormal and the sacred, and um, yeah. so much of my work is involved in you know making the films and doing the research and putting out the forums. And of course, Evolve TV, my my online network, is all about kind of bringing this stuff together. But yeah. I've done a lot of ghost movies. You know, I did Dead Whisper, which was the definitive exploration of electronic voice phenomenon, and I wrote, directed, produced, filmed, and, and you know did all of that. Um, and I really felt that I came to understand ghostly phenomenon, phenomena in a way that uh, it wasn't clear to me before. And so I think that it's part you of... Tell, you want to tell us? Tell us. Pardon me? Tell us Okay. I'm glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you said something. I started really looking at this stuff. And like in Dead Whisper, we have a lot of things that are undeniable. We have interactive electronic voice phenomenon where a, a, a psychic will say, what was your favorite time of year? And then the psychic says Christmas. And then a second later on, on one of our reporters, a, a voice from nowhere says Christmas. And we didn't fudge any of the evidence. It is what it is. And so that's what we call it, interactive EVP. So what is that? It's obviously some kind of being that's invisible to us that's able to uh, lead some sort of communication and so how does that play into what we understand about our our own selves and our spirituality? Is it true that we could be in some sort of a universe where we die and we get trapped somewhere in this eternal um, place of, of limbo? Is that really the way it works? And so I started thinking about that. Okay, do I want to be a ghost? Am, am I spiritually a being that has to face that possibility that, that you know, that could happen to me. And I realized that it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, as as spiritual creatures evolving, there's no real place in the playbook for us to get stuck somewhere and have our entire existence turn into to haunting a reality. So I came up with what I call the theory of conscious echoes. And what that means... Say that one more time, conscious... Conscious echoes. Okay, conscious echoes. What what okay. that means is that, you know, they, they say that when you look at a ghostly phenomenon, possibly it's three things. It's the, um, it's an echo imprinted on space-time of a significant event, which would explain, you know, electronic voice phenomenon. It would explain 
you know, seeing flashes and images and things moving, um, you know, little rips in the fabric of reality or dimensional portals. It would explain those, but it doesn't explain interactivity. Explanation number two is that you're really dealing with the ghost of a, uh, of a human being, you know, a real human being who is stuck in this place. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either because I don't think that that's, I don't think we go through the things we go through to have that be our destiny. Um, and then, of course, explanation number three is the theory of conscious echoes, which goes like this. In the moment of a, say, an unexpected shocking death, let's look at what happens. There's a huge burst of psychic energy. It's made up of fear, adrenaline, the sudden realization that you're going to die, the panic, the resistance, but it's also filled up with this essence of recalling your whole life right in front of your eyes as, 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 you, as you're dying. And then it's also filled up with fear, possibly anger, and a whole bunch of elements. Now, all of that energy is expelled at one time into the ether. So what if that energy was so concentrated and so powerful that it stayed cohesive after the soul of the person involved went on and became a part of the tapestry of that area's reality to the point where it stayed together and over time could develop a certain self-awareness. And so a conscious echo is just that. It's an echo of an event whose energy is so strong and so cohesive that eventually it forms its own consciousness and becomes a living thought form. And it explains everything about ghostly phenomena. And it also plays into old uh, uh, mythos of tulpas and of jinn. Well, not so much jinns, but tulpas for sure. They're thought forms created through um, concentration. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my theory of what's really causing a lot of ghostly phenomenon is what I call the theory of conscious echoes, that the energy expelled in a, in a horrific moment can live on and eventually become self-aware. Wow. Um, I did have a dream about what the ghosts were at one time, so I can only say that might be true, too, that I do think that, um, like an imprint on a piece of clay, that we do leave things behind at times and ghostly things and all that. But I had a dream one time about it, and it kind of helped me understand why uh, and what it meant uh, for people that were lost souls. So I was in this this, uh, ghost town. Literally, it looked like an old western ghost town. And I had uh, a couple angels with me, and they they were mostly just showing me. They weren't talking to me. And I wasn't looking at the angels. I was looking at the town. But I knew they were there. So we went and we were watching uh, these people in a bar, right? So we have a whole bar scene scenario. And there was a whole line of people going up to the bar. And as they went into the bar, okay, everybody's in line, right? As they they went into the bar one by one and they would go up to the bartender, they would would, uh, uh, drink down a shot and then by the time they made it to the back door, they had to get back in line because they were thirsty again. Okay. And so thus, for an eternity, they're in the line, 
you know, waiting because they're already, I went, you know, not only is this like alcoholism, I went, this is terrible. It's like they don't realize, just step out of the line, you know, and go home or whatever. No, they're thirsty, so they're getting back in the line. So they're staying here. And uh, then it shifted over to somebody in a house. Now, this would have kind of explained it. So to me, even though uh, I'm in my religion, we don't believe in like a purgatory or limbo, even though I think that's where ghosts are. They're kind of in the parallel something. I'm not sure. And, and I think there's, yeah, there's a certain amount of limbo that does come. I'm just not sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's, a, it's sort of a limbo, kind of a, I didn't understand it before the dream. I didn't understand where they were because I was trying to figure it out. But then the next one is was showing me that um, I used to live in a haunted house in the same time of day, every day, and it's really right close to where I live now. So I kind of stare at it and drive by really fast. But anyway, <laughs> so it's it's saying that at the same time of day, this guy looked like he was from the 50s because he had like a jelly roll hairdo and everything, and he kind of like kind of styled himself after Elvis a little bit. But he was sitting there, uh-huh. like, let's say, 5 o'clock. Every day at 5 o'clock, he showed up, and he'd wait for his family. And, of course, everybody's passed on. Everybody's went to heaven or wherever they were going to go. And he was stuck, and he'd say, okay, maybe tomorrow. And so he'd go and do the same thing the next day. And so when that dream was over, I was thinking, you know, please, first of all, God, I don't want to be stuck there, wherever that is. And that also that there's a certain amount of repetition and clinging and wanting it's there. That, but what I've experienced from the people, spirits that have come to me, my loved ones, they don't feel that way. They they love God. They're with God. They're not hanging on to anything. They're not in pain anymore. But in this other place, which we can call... Yeah, it, and I think that's a purgatory. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's different than the conscious echo idea. Because they're aware of the afterlife, okay. and they're circulating within the afterlife. And I think there's probably... Um, you know, I just did a, a conversation with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and she talks about this. There is an afterlife that's just like an existence, you know, where we walk around and we kind of take a break from the life we had and we decide what we're going to do next. And so that's a different place. Um, again, it's just like so many different possibilities. But the idea of, oh, there's a ghost, he's stuck here, he's haunting this place, um, and and that's his his existence, and he used to be a human just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And so I think we're on the same page. Yeah. it's. Uh, I still don't know for sure because I'm, I'm not really there. And if I'm there, I can't tell you. So <laughs> we're just, uh, I think that we are supposed to, uh, I think we're supposed to be of benefit to each other while we're here. And we don't have a purpose to serve ourselves while we're here. We, we're, to me, our purpose is to serve others and have love and learn whatever this lesson is supposed to be. But it's not easy. Right. <laughs> it's not easy. That's true. Because then you get all these different stages, like just even naturally growing up, you know, you're in these different stages where you're kind of horrified by your, your former behavior last year and now you're a different person this year. It's pretty embarrassing. Because you're doing this all in front of everybody. If you're out there, then you make your mistakes in front of everybody, too. So it's, you know, like I had a midlife in crisis. I didn't have my midlife crisis around until I was 60. So now I'm going on 63 in July. So embarrassingly enough, it was in front of everybody. Can you imagine a 60-year-old having a midlife crisis? It wasn't right. It wasn't fair. I think that's why I... <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, see. <laughs> now you're getting me. That's why I responded to those funny. Because at 35, man, I was cute. <laughs> but, you know, also, you know, I'm 52 now, but I think I started the book 14 years ago, and I was beginning to, to, to see middle age. And plus, you know, we have to look at how old was Jesus when he actually came. So I couldn't, I, I couldn't make her too old. So she had to be thirty-five. Yeah, but you know, right. middle age is creeping upon her faster because of the turmoil and tragedy she's having to deal with. Yeah. Does that help? Okay. Yeah, I that helps a lot. It really smoothed over that whole area for me. <laughs> sort of. Anyway, so now you have so many projects that you've done, and just you know, so much to cover. That uh, tell us about your show and how that came about because you, well, you have you a know, I, amazing. I, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I did the first bigger. How can everybody reach it? Oh, they can go to Evolve TV, and there's a free one. Um, if you go to EvolveTV.com, um, it's like the word Evolve only with an I, so it's EvolveTV.com. There's some freebies in there, and one of them is the. Uh, if you go to the auditorium, you can see an episode of Bigger Questions I did with Steve Bassett. Um, about disclosure. I produced the uh, Citizen Hearing on Disclosure, which was a big yes. a big thing. Um, I didn't know you produced that. That's the big, the big, big thing we were all covering. We had a few people out there would, you know, eat, text us and blog us every day just letting us know what was going on out there. I was invited, and I didn't, you know, I, I didn't travel at the time because I had been kind of sick. So anyway, oh, yeah, you are so lucky. That's interesting. I, yeah. I, I produced my, my company provided the video and live streaming services. Um, I produced the entire video portion of the event, um, which is interesting because some other people are trying to take credit for it, but I'm the one that did it, just for the record. Um, <laughs> but at any rate, there's a fantastic uh, interview with Steve Bassett that kind of talks about what my show is about, and it, it's all you know. Bigger questions is about um, you know some of the things that I say in the introduction is what if the proof of life after death lies waiting to be discovered in the basement of a haunted house. And I think that's a really good um, synopsis of what the show's about. It's, it, it's about the fusion of science. I mean, we can't keep denying all of these, um, these, these mysteries. We can't, science can't, keep, can't continue to say, oh, that's not really happening. Oh, electronic voice phenomenon is some stray FM station. You know, sorry, guys, it's really not. Um, so we can't continue to, to just disregard this stuff. So we have to start coming up with things that make sense and things we can live with in how we're going to explain it. And so Bigger Questions is all about, um, you know, we cover a lot of topics, but the main theme of it is reconciling what we know is happening, what we really can't deny, with what we know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then... If you have, you know, some people are uh, have gotten pretty aggressive, and they're kind of hurting other people that aren't so aggressive. Yet have had valid experiences. Um, what's your advice on dealing with these loudmouths? Oh, excuse me, these people. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've never been really harassed by anybody. Um, I, I think that what you have to say is. People need to make sure they have their facts straight. And at the end of the day, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Somebody might say, there's no UFOs, it's all in your mind. But then somebody else might say, yeah, but we create our own reality. So, it, yeah, it might be all in your mind, but it's, it's really happening. And that's what I mean by the quantum nature of truth. 
uh, people need to quit arguing about who's right and who's wrong and start coming together on what is, even if it totally shatters your paradigms. That's the issue, huh? Because that's what I see is that um, I've gave I've given people fair warning, you know, on my Facebook page uh, that if there's you know any haters, I'm just going to move away from you. Meaning I'm gonna you know whatever flip the switch and just get rid of you because I can't take it anymore. The the negativity is by allowed very few, you know, but they're just so foul mouthed and they seem to I don't know if they have a little area where they cut and paste all this hatred because they're fast with it. You know what I mean? It's a, like a long uh, diatribe. And I'm thinking, like I said, man, they, these people just need to chill. And they, they need to understand yeah. that, you know, what are the haters saying? Because I'm not, you know, I, I a lot of people don't like me. I'm very outspoken and, and, you know, I don't necessarily always agree with people and I don't necessarily always uh, talk to people in a manner that makes them feel like, uh, like I'm a great guy. However, that being said, um, I've done a lot of stuff and I haven't really been attacked. Um, what What are they doing? What are they saying? Oh, uh, just um, first of all, they can take the most uh, you know plain and moderate conversation and turn it into Obama hating. Like it goes around, it turns around so fast that. Dang, we can't even have a talk about chickens without Obama coming in there. Like something's his fault. I don't know, egg cracked. I don't know what happened. But it's just uh-huh. dumb like that. It's like hating, 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 hating. And I realize they're actually probably cutting and pasting this crap because they can't write that fast. How could they argue? You know, so it's fast? a shame that people that people just can't get it together and have better things to do. Because at the at the end of the day, it's not about that. Okay, it's 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 about you know, shut up, quit bitching at other people, close your eyes, and start trying to figure out what you're really made of. Because until you can do that, you're on the wrong path. And if you want to sit there and listen to these radio shows and start trashing people, you know, exactly. go ahead, I suppose, but you're not going to accomplish the kind of things that you're going to accomplish by being part of the mystery and part of the solution of the mystery and not part of problems that are making it impossible for humanity to continue. You know, you want to be a hater? You want to just waste your time anonymously posting online and calling somebody something? Why don't you just be quiet, rise up, be the best you can be, and be part of the solution and not part of the problem? I was beautiful what you just said because that's so important is that, you know, what's happening is the the haters whoever made that up made it made it a good one because it really does uh, speak to this hatred and and what I really have uh, decided and and felt in my heart is that it's a mirror of your heart what you're saying and doing and the hatred that you keep bringing up this you know the horrible thing about who's doing whatever I was taught to pray for our our policymakers and presidents and stuff like that. You pray for them because they need a lot of help. I don't even know if you noticed that. Yeah, they need a lot of help. And I don't know if you noticed, but Obama got old. He oh, was yeah. so well, young course, when he was totally running. Flush. Oh, my God. Have you seen a difference? Yeah. No, I mean, you know, Bush you know, too. 
Yeah, exactly. They really uh, are aging. The only one that didn't age was Cheney. I don't understand what happened with that. But anyway, but everybody, but everybody has aged in that. There's something going on. And when you direct that much hate to somebody, you're going to kill them one way or another. Like you're killing, they're strong and they're going to live, but they're they're aging rapidly. I don't know. I think they're. I think if, if you voice that much ill will towards others, you know, I don't know. Yes, I'm I'm still here. Um, Yeah, you know, Char, I mean, honestly, I'm sorry that people are giving you a hard time. Um, I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm actually stepping in defense for others because, you know, people stop giving me a hard time because I come back at them. And I don't care how far away they are, I'll track them. So I turn into like a pit bull. you got to take the higher road. Um, You you do. funnier I've been listening to that new Joel Olstein channel on Oprah, and I'm not—I I, do—I am not a Christian. Yeah, I wrote a book about Jesus, but I kind of wrote a book about the, the Christ energy from a metaphysical standpoint. And it's—it's um, it's not about—it's not a Christian book. It won't offend Christians, but it's not about that. Um, and but I've been listening to this guy, and, and what I've noticed lately is a huge fusion between metaphysical beliefs, metaphysical teachings, and and traditional religious teachings. And so the guy's got a lot of good things to say. And, you know, one of them is that you just need to not let other people get your goat. You need to just be who you are. You need to understand that, that, that not everybody's going to agree with you. And it's got to, you got to get duck feathers. And nowadays, especially as so many of us are trying to change the world in a positive way, um, we don't have a minute to spend listening to detractors. And, and you know, Char, honestly, we don't have a minute to spend trying to convince detractors that they're wrong. Just you're blow right. them off and let them go. Um, yeah, it, you're it's what right. you have to do. And if yeah, you're one of the people that's harming. posting stuff on their site, quit it. You know, yeah. knock off. Go, go do something big. Char's done something big. She's got a radio show that a lot of people are listening to. You might not agree with every little yeah. minutiae that she says, but she's doing it, and you're not. The best you can do is post on, on, on her Facebook and, and trash her. Knock it off. <laughs> no, go, they, go, they don't go do, do to me. Better. They're doing to, because me, I'll fight back, you know, but they're, they're doing to people that yeah. are getting no hurt. I'm not fighting back as hard as I will, you know, and I, I feel I'm actually saying yeah, it on behalf of others. Either. Maybe you should take a look at, 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 at fight back. I mean, um, you know, I'll tell you, this weird thing happened to me at the bank today, and I'm going to share this with you um, because I've been going through this. Because I'm usually like the guy, my, my ex-girlfriend used to say, it's not your job to police the universe because I was always calling people on their stuff, and I still do. I was pulling out a deposit slip, and this guy and his girlfriend walked past me and got in line. And, but, but I was right there. The line was to where I was standing. And so I stood behind them, and I went through this little mental sort of debate with myself. Should I say something to this guy? Should I, should I, you know, what should I do? And I was going through it, going through it, going through it. And, and then I was listening to, to this little voice who was saying, Ron, you have to let the universe handle your justice. And I never believed that before, but I'm starting to believe it now. And so I sat back, and I didn't say anything. And all of a sudden, the guy looked down at his paperwork and realized he didn't have his stuff done right. And him and his girlfriend had to leave the line and go fill something out. And, and, and so I That's stepped right back to the place I should have had. And I was like, whoa, because it was cosmic to me because I am the guy that would walk up, tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, dude, you just took cuts. Get out of my way. And it, but I debated with myself about rather that was the right thing to do. And right there in that exact moment, 
the universe took care of it. And that's the lesson that, that I've been um, being taught more and more is don't worry about that stuff. The universe will handle it. You do what you got to do and you do it the best you can. The universe will take care of that nonsense. That is really great because thanks because there's a real live situation happening right now too and uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about something and uh, I know that that person's going to get theirs and it's on behalf of others because I can't stand injustice for some reason. You know, it's the one that chats my hired the fastest. It's just injustice against others that can't seem to fight for their own, you know. Somebody that's beat down. Yes. And so, you know, you got to stand on your courage and do what you're doing. Um, anybody who is doing more than sitting at their house, criticizing others, eating badly, getting overweight, watching TV, and being basically a, a marginal burden on society shouldn't be bothered by the people who are. That's right. God, I'm eating right around. I get mad about that, too. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you shouldn't. Man. You know, it's Currently, our duty, I'm eating right. It's our duty as people that are presenting ourselves to the rest of the world to present the best ourselves we can be. It is, it is, and I'm working on it, and you're absolutely right, because I have not felt well, and I've been sick for uh, some serious things, but I'm on, I'm going to get better. And I'm now, and I'm feeling like a a carnivore, because I'm doing a high-protein, low-carbohydrate vegetable, it's meat and vegetables, because my French uh, doctor screamed at me, meat, vegetables, meat, vegetables, I said, okay, okay, God. First he made me cry, then I did it. But anyway. Well, I, I have diabetes, and a year ago I fell yeah, off the ladder. Yeah, I did too. That's, too. Why, that's, what, that's what happened. That's what, I have diabetes. I, I, I shattered both of my heel bones. So in other words, both of my both my heel bones were completely shattered. I had to walk oh, around God. for three months on my knees. I couldn't stand agony. up. Agony. Uh, pardon me? It's oh, agony. Everybody, you oh, know, God, your heels. I know. It was pretty rough, but, you know, I got through it without a moment of self-pity. And then after that, my diabetes was out of control because I changed my diet. I wasn't getting exercise. I was eating a lot of meat because my body was craving it, and my A1C was like 9. And um, and it's taken me this much time to get that back on track. So, you know, I understand about those kind of obstacles because I have plenty of my own. My doctor says I have a... Um, you know, beginning kidney damage and blah 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 blah. So we all have to we all have to fight our battles to to rise yeah. above the things that are challenging us. Um, and I'm doing the best I can too. I'm I'm neutroblasting. I, I'm exercising way more than I used to, and I'm turning the whole thing around. And we all have a choice. And so these people that are out there giving you a hard time, you know, they probably really should just turn that mirror inward and look at the things they're not doing mm-hmm. to present the best them they can to the world because at the end of the day, trashing other people is not the best you. If you want to, if you disagree with somebody, fine, politely disagree. If you have something to add to the conversation, then stand up in the best framework you can and present it to the people having the conversation. But, you know, there's no point in being a so-called hater and there's no point in being somebody who just posts these anonymous jabs on Facebook. Shame on you. You're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. Yeah. We all have our challenges. We all have things we have to deal with. 20 minutes left, and I just want to just uh, read some of the things, to that you have been involved with, and there's many, many things. Uh, uh, originals, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Democracy, 3D, Earth, Wind, and Fire on HSN, 
the Smashing Pumpkins, Oceana on Palladium. This, the Beach Boys, 3D. Constantine, Immersive Dome at the Comic-Con. Oh, I've got to make that Comic-Con someday. Please, God. Anyway, creator of the show, Alternative Greens. Creator of the show, The Biggest Dreamer. Living Younger. Spirits of Excellence. And Ghost Town 3D on Nintendo. Tell me, tell me about that one. Or do you mean you create a show about um, the ghost town? Yeah, you know, that that was so much fun. Um, when 3D came back to TVs, I invested heavily in 3D. I thought it was going to be a huge... Um, I thought it was going to stick this time. You know, the history of 3D has been, well, it didn't really work. And, and it, it has a little bit of a push, and then it dies. And it's, it survived in the theaters to a certain point. But there was this vision at one time that um, because of new 3D technology and 3D TVs, that there would be these whole new 3D channels, and perhaps television would move to 3D at some point. So I was in L.A., and I started doing 3D. Now I bought cameras and set up a 3D studio. And so the Ghost Town Nintendo was one of the sales that I actually made. I wrote, directed, produced a piece. I shot it in Jerome, Arizona, and we called it the Ghost Town, and it was just very cool. We reenacted ghosts, and we, we basically uh, told the stories of the hauntings of Jerome. And so that was fun. And, the uh, yeah. you know, the other stuff, like the rock concerts, these are things that I that I do because, I'm you know, people hire me to do stuff. And so um, when NBC was premiering Constantine at the uh, Comic-Con this last time, they wanted a really unique attraction, and so I was brought in to help produce a interactive uh, full dome experience. A dome is like a planetarium. So we, you walked into the dome, and you you walked through Constantine's world, and so I produced all of that, and that was fun. That was about a month of, of work. Uh, and then the concerts, you know, I was involved in the 3D. So I got to produce a lot of 3D concerts, and I did the, uh, the first one I did was the Beach Boys, and I, I ran camera and handled a lot of production tasks. And then we did um, Smashing Pumpkins. I went to New Jersey and we did it. That particular concert is on Palladium right now. But the funnest one was Guns N' Roses. I was very involved in the production of that. I was a second unit director, producer, camera operator. And, um, you know, I used to love Guns N' Roses as a band. And during the yeah, concert you know, that we used, I'm I'm on stage with Axl Rose, and, and it was like a dream Dang come it. true. Plus, I ran the second I unit, bet. so I did the band interviews and and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, when I say I was on stage with Axl Rose, is that I had the camera that could go anywhere, and so that's where I went some of the time. And I went up on the stage and and stood there and shot while Axl was doing his thing, and it was so much fun. It was just like that wow. Is it's a, so people ask me what I, I do. I, remember, I know it's so weird that you even said that because I was just thinking of the color cover of Rolling Stone when he had his picture on the cover of Rolling Stone. He looked just like an angel. Oh yeah, you know, Axel is a trip. The the band is is they made a huge huge mark on yeah. um, you know society at the time. Um, I don't know if Axel is a poster child for human evolution or de evolution, but. Uh, you know, <laughs> Who he is. I, I didn't want to say it, okay? I don't want to. Something happened. Well, I mean, you know, let's think I don't know what today. Madonna kind of got it and started doing yoga. You know, we have a lot of artists that get to a certain point and then they go, wait, wait a minute, I should be spiritual. But, you know, let's face it, Axel's not one of them. 
no. Although, although I would uh, like to extend him an open invitation. You know, because what's really interesting is DJ Ashba, the guitar player that replaced Slash. Hey, DJ. Um, and I yeah. actually, you know, exchanged phone numbers and, and talked about some projects together. DJ's got a good heart, and, and he believes in using his platform to do good things. He's doing some work with anti-bullying, and he did this job with Nikki Six. It was pretty interesting. Um, and so, you know, there's it's funny because there's a lot of guys out there that you wouldn't think are are spiritual that are actually more spiritual than you think. Yeah, um, there is there is something going on because because uh, I have a few friends uh, uh, doing stuff and um, uh, they are very spiritual, but they don't let on because they're like heavy metal and stuff like that. So kind of just keep it to themselves until you start talking with them. And one of them is my good friend, and we have like eight nine hour phone calls. That's how long we talk. We cover it all. No, yes. Yeah, I'm just... That's uh, very cool. Okay, can, can, okay, now, this one about the... You know, I love the Smashing Pumpkins. And this Good. is Oceana on, on Palladium mm-hmm. now. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah, you know, they. Uh, it was the very first concert of the Oceana tour. It was in New Jersey, yes. Barclay Center. I was there. Um, I, was, uh, wow. I was the second unit director and cameraman. And we never really produced the 3D version. We shot the whole thing in 3D, but we never did mm-hmm. the 3D version. But the uh, the concert itself ended ended up on Palladium, so you know it's it's on there now from time to time. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I love it. Very... Uh, because there's something so interesting to me. He's like a kid, but there's so much interesting about that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you know, he came from a very punk rock kind of thing and, and has evolved musically and, and as a person. And it's very interesting, you know, as a society, we watch our artists and we watch our artists evolve. And some do, yeah. some don't, but most do. What's really interesting is that most do. And so, um, you know, it's like there's a lot of people out there that, that started out as like really rebel rockers and everything. Look at Steven Tyler. Um, in fact, you probably yeah. have a picture of me and even at the yeah, at I the, do. Um, look at what's happened with him. I mean, Aerosmith was like the epitome of heavy metal debauchery and excess, and Stephen is is has actually become a very spiritual person, and so that's a great illustration for society. You know, I mean, how many gladiators in ancient Rome became spiritual people, right? Which yeah. is which makes case for my my belief that humanity as a whole is evolving in a positive direction. Because our heroes are evolving in positive directions. They are, you know, and the ones that have meant a lot to me is even what um, I was baptized in a Greek Orthodox, as I said. Uh, my name, my Greek name is Constantia, which I was named after Constantine the Great. And uh, I, I noticed that uh, there's a big thing on Constantine now of what he was and stuff like that. And they've got, they've got kind of a supernatural thing with him. But, uh, you know, he uh, did wage war. Now, we, But unfortunately, we no longer have Constantinople. But yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but when I saw that you worked with Constant, in Constantine, at that immersive oh. film at the Comic-Con. Oh, you know I what? I hate cool. to say this. I, 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 I do, but Constantine is a stupid show. That, oh, whoops, I can't say that. Constantine, right, is a fantastic, Constantine is a fantastic drama based on the uh, 
the Keanu Reeves movie about a returned <laughs> angel who has been cast out from heaven to blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, the whole thing was about demons and angels and blah, blah, blah. And I think they canceled the series. And I did this thing where you walk into the dome and you're in Constantine's world and he's talking and we reenacted Constantine and we did all this stuff. And the whole time I was just shaking my head, you know. Um, oh, man, all right. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you, you look at yeah, it was a while. You can't be great all the time. Well, you, you know, when, you when, NBC, when NBC calls and you're trying to change the world with no money, you take the money as long as you're not, you know. Well, you have to eat, so, too. Yeah. <laughs> at least, at least Constantine, you know, triumphs over evil, so I didn't feel too bad about it. That's true, and and he did, and... Uh, but there were definitely some demons. But I happened, you know, but I happened to, yeah, some, in chat they're saying Constantine the movie was great. A lot of us liked the movie, even though it was a mishmash. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it the, was, that, but you know, the TV show was kind of cool. We liked it because we liked the new Rican or Reeves or whatever. Which, yeah, and, and and Constantine in the TV series didn't get to smoke, and there was a lot of other things about it. But you know, a lot of fan. It has a lot of fans. And if you went to yeah. if you went to Comic Con and you saw that big dome out there and you walked into it, and there's a few thousand of you out there on the planet that did, then you know that was another little piece of my work that's out there is uh you know my day to day kind of thing. That's so interesting. Well, um, so let's see. We have 15 minutes. I didn't want to go on to how we met, but because oh. I want to talk about a couple more things that you did because I, I like bragging on you. Okay, so you talked about Dead Whisper already, Ghost Asylum. Was, and are you talking about uh, what what's that? What was Ghost that Asylum was like another Dead Whisper. We went to an abandoned insane asylum in Chicago and made a documentary about the trip. Um, you know, I, I'd like to talk more about Ghost Asylum and talk about how awesome it was, but at the end of the day, it really wasn't. It was just more of the same and not that great. Um, you know, okay. good film. If, if you get a chance to watch it for free, I recommend it. That's pretty bad, huh? Hey, I made it, but um, I'm not trying to sell it to you. <laughs> what about the Sedona series? Now, give me something about that. Uh, the Sedona series was a whole bunch of metaphysical videos. I went to Sedona and I built a studio and I gathered all the really great metaphysical practitioners and I made a series of DVDs. And one of them, you know, one of them was Lessons in Tarot, where a, a Tarot expert came and taught you how to read the Tarot deck and do readings. One was uh, Lessons in Astrology, where we talked about how to read astrological charts and do readings. It was basically an instructional video on how to do metaphysical work. So we had, uh, you know, the power of crystals and, you know, a crystal healing video. We had how to meet your spirit guides. We had, um, there was a couple more that I can't think of now. It's been a while. But, yeah, it was a whole bunch of uh, basically metaphysical videos, the teaching the, the um, esoterics of metaphysics. Okay. And uh, now, I know I like that. Just, now, if you so go you to iVolvetv.com, you can you can watch all the That's what I was just going to say. Go to iVolve, capital I V O L V E, media. TV, yeah, TV.com. And, and you can subscribe. You can watch. You can literally watch everything I produce and a bunch of other stuff, and you can be a part of the new things that are coming. It's like seven ninety nine a month, but we send you some free DVDs and a, a T-shirt if you want it. So it's worth it. So. You know, help me do the work I'm doing and, and go to Eyeball and become a subscriber. Or go to Amazon and buy the book. 
yes. or just post, you, you know, rude things both. about me on Facebook. I bought the book because I try to post for the cause all the time. So, anyway, we do have a, oh, a, you're another the one. question. And, <laughs> you can tell uh, I did it. Okay. Now, listen. Uh, do you believe, this coming from chat, do you believe in angels and demons? You know, I, I believe in them to a point, but um, we have, you know, I'm working with Rosemary Ellen Guiley right now on, on putting together a, a documentary about what she's calling the jinn. And I think that the jinn, um, as you look through different human mythos and legends, would strongly correlate with demons. And I think that angels are angels. Um, and so, yes, I do believe that these entities exist. And my eyes are opening more and more to this realization that, yeah, we think we're here all by ourselves, and then there's all these other, you know, aliens and whatever, but there's also a whole other host of creatures that we should be um, acknowledging or at least looking at, and that ranges everything from fairies to elves to um, jinn and to angels, and so it's a whole other class of extra-dimensional creatures, and so do I believe in angels and demons? To a point... Um, Am I really clear on what their actual ability to influence us is? Not yet. Um, I'm, I'm kind of working on that. I'm I'm a little conflicted right now about what I think uh, based on what I know. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely opening up to the existence of, of more and more alternative beings, and angels and demons or jinn are um, right at the top of the list. Very good, because, uh, you know, it's interesting to all of us, and I've had a lot of experience with that, not with demons. Uh, you know, I could go on to another whole story to talk about all that. But anyway, uh, no, I, I have been near something that I thought somebody had some kind of real evil issue, but nobody saw it but me, so I, it was really, really strange. Before I got sober, I've been sober 34 years, but... Uh, I got sober. I used to go to this night. I don't know I'm old, but anyway, I was to go to this uh, nightclub over here on uh, I think it was Torrance Boulevard. I think it was called the Rain Tree. Anyway, it was a real dive, but at least they had lit up that that floor. But anyway, there was this guy. All the girls used to always uh, fall all over themselves to be near and everything else. And this guy, to me, I, I had this weird, uh, not only feeling about him, but when I looked at him. Uh, do you remember those very scary, uh, invisible, uh, I mean, see-through plastic masks they used to wear for Halloween? Do you remember those masks? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, they yeah. just made a video for somebody that sells those as um, coats them in aloe vera. It sells them for 50 bucks a piece. Oh, you're kidding. Anyway, those yeah. are scary to me. There, There's something about it. This guy always looked like either he had like a film of Matt Vaseline over his face or... The, he had that mask on, but the prettiest girl just danced with him, and I, 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 he horrified me. You know, and I really steered clear of him, even if I was drunk. I'd still steer clear of him. So I thank God that whatever angels are watching over me would keep me away from all that. And uh, but I know that there were certain things happening all the time. You know, and uh, anyway, so let's go into because we haven't got that much time left. I want to go into the synchronicity of it all. So we have mutual friends in common, and uh, my friend, I guess I won't name her, but anyway, because I talk about her a lot, she's my BFF, and her husband. Now, I've known my friend since I was 19 and she was 18, Ron. That's how long we've known each other. That's a long time. 
Well, wait a minute. If you want to tell me who it is, how do I know if they like me? Well, you know who it is because you rent a play, the your studio from her nephew. Oh, oh, oh okay, sure, okay. Yeah. yeah. So she's my best friend. For, oh, okay. Awesome. I don't. How long has it been now? Well, since I was nineteen. So, anyway. Wow! Wow! So wow! I wow. know. We have been friends for a lifetime. So uh, she's my best friend, and of course. Her husband that works with you, because you, cause I guess he helped out in that trip to Arizona. But, you know, so I've known him as long as they've been married. He did, uh, actually, married yes. 20 years, yeah. So that's how we know each other, and that's how yeah. I meant that. But I already was Facebook friends with you since last June. Uh, well, that doesn't August surprise me, because it's a small small world that we, we inhabit. Okay, so me and you, though... But not you and them. That's how it's yeah, so you've odd. Yeah, you've known me longer than I've known them, I think. Because I rented the studio yeah. about nine months ago, I think. I know, but don't you think that's peculiar? No, like, I think it's no. Like, like, I know, because you came from, you know, wherever you came from, but then you came to that place, which is a cool studio, by the way. It's really an awesome place. But It's uh, even more cool with, than I said it is. You know, we've got yes, this beautiful you have made story. it really cool beyond anything you really have. So anyway, <laughs> a shout out to you know who you know who you are. Yeah, thank you. Yes, okay, I, I owe you twenty bucks for that one. <laughs> <laughs> but small world, I think it's weird because yeah. we thought it was peculiar. Okay, so this is what happened. So my friend, she's called me. She says, "Well, guess who's running over?" I went, "Well, who's over here and doing stuff and filming?" And doing. I said, "Ooh." And she said, your name, do you know him? I went, wait a minute. I said, yeah, I know him. Well, we know of each other. You know, I know of him, but I don't think you know me. But anyway, I know of you. And I said, yeah, I know him. And then I looked on Facebook. I said, yeah, we've been, you know, Facebook friends because we have uh, 3,000 mutual friends. And uh, she said, well, he's over here. I was like, what the hell? Like, we thought mm-hmm. it was just, it hit us hard. You know what I mean? Like, it's getting closer and closer. Because she yeah. actually is NASA trained and works for Northrop. She's a really? very special person. Yeah, she's a she's an amazing uh, woman. So, anyway, now you know that's the circle. Well, you know the thing is, is that um, these kind of synchronicities and small circles they they used to surprise me, but they don't anymore because we're all here to do something and we need each other to do it. Yeah, one thing that I've noticed is that as we as we just I've come to the point now where I dismiss people from my life on a constant basis. A client will come to me and say, "I'll write you a twenty thousand dollar check. You got to make this infomercial for me about this supplement I made, and it doesn't work, but you know who cares? It's money, and and you know I won't take their money. I dismiss them from my world. Yeah, and 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 so I Good. you know I I make it a very big point to surround myself with people that are vibrating in the same level of um, purpose and integrity that I am. And let me uh, preface that by saying that I'm not putting myself on a pedestal saying that I'm some kind of super person of integrity because when you do that, you get shot down. So we're all fallible human beings. So, you know, please, I know where will you find me on the record with any air of superiority at all, ever. But um, no. having said that, I try to surround myself with people who are, who are vibrating in the same realm that, that I am, and yeah. I get rid of them that aren't, and I and I will get rid of them. 
I will fire a client for lying to me. I will fire a client for doing something that I don't believe is, is okay. And I don't care how much money they're paying. And and so what I find is that when you operate that way, uh, yeah, you get attracted to the right people. You know, and you and you're taking you're actually taking your own freedom in hand, because if you can be bought, they've got you. They got to go ringing your nose. Yeah, believe me, if I could be bought, I'd be, I'd, I would be far richer than I am and, and yeah. um, you know, far more unhappy. But, you know, frankly, in, the, in this world, I'd rather die with little or nothing than, than have had to sell myself out. And it amazes me. I don't know how many people, you know, make that decision um, because it's a private decision, so you never know. You know, I mean, you hear stories about these politicians that, you know, all they... they go off and they get the videotape of them doing something they shouldn't and they hold it over for their whole lives. Um, oh, boy. So, you know, you don't That's know. You just too. don't know pulling the string. And I don't care. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, don't, don't even get into it because people, you know, try to buy me on a regular basis. Uh, I, I work with a community where, uh, you know, God bless you, all the community I'm working with now, if you're listening, because I know most of you are doing good. But once in a while, they'll offer me money. And it's just for stupid stuff, too, like getting out of group early or not showing up for a session or something like that. I tell them right off, I can't be bought. It doesn't matter how much. So they give me scenarios. Well, how much would it take? I said, I told you at no cost, nothing, because it means nothing right. to me. And I need to work. But I want to work hard, and I work hard for my you know, living, and I, I earn my own money and everything else. So there's no check coming out of the sky anywhere. You know, but hey, look, also, no I, I don't even feel tempted. I don't feel... You know, I was just thanking God last night. I really was. I was thinking, I said, thank you, God, that you've blocked me that feeling of I need that 20 or I need that 1,000 or I need that for some ridiculous source, you know. Because people try to bribe me all the time. You know, it's so anyway. interesting because a, a while back I had a conversation with myself and I agreed with myself that I was never going to worry about money in the way that I used to worry about money. And I went through times where, I remember when I was working on the, the proposals for the Martin Gray Show for National Geographic, I went through the entire winter with no gas uh, to heat my house. Oh, and and, yeah. and because, you know, I, I was just moving forward with what I believed in. And, you know, I, I don't have to do that anymore, but if I'm not careful, I might. But at, at the end of the day, when I made that commitment to myself, I never had to worry about money in that way again. I mean, I never worry about where I'm going to get 20 bucks. I might worry about where I'm going to get 2000 but I never worry about where I'm going to get the money yeah, I need. Because it always it always comes. You may it may you may have to wait, and then it'll be down to the last penny. But it always comes. So you know that's another lesson for us and everybody else. You know don't don't accept. Well, I think it always comes if you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I've asked the universe yeah. a lot, especially as I as, as I move forward with Evolve TV. You know, I, I cannot do any more than I've already done. I need about five million bucks to make this thing a worldwide thing. And and I'm constantly like, okay, universe, you know, I don't want $5 million so I can go buy a yacht. I need it so I can, you know, it, it, you're always like, well, I've done what I have to do. I'm waiting for you to do what you have to do to fulfill, yeah. you know, my destiny and my end of the contract. And so that that money's coming. And probably the next time we it talk, is. I'll have gotten. Um, That's it. It's, it's very, and I just pray that you get, you get your heart's desire because, you know, you need to support yourself when you're, you know, doing all this too. And it's creative. The artists usually don't get the money till later, but you need to support yourself. Anyway, we this is no. this is the end. We ran out of time, and be sure oh, to no. watch 
Ron James on iVolve TV and also his online show, Bigger Questions. And where can they get a hold of you? Uh, well, they can email me through the website. They can email me at administrator at com. I talk to everybody that, that reaches out to me. Um, they can buy my book by searching Messiah Awakenings. It will come up on Amazon. Um, if you buy the, if, if I see that you bought the book, I will send you a free DVD in the next 10 days. Um, if you subscribe to Evolve TV, I will also send you a free DVD. And you can be a part of the work that I'm trying to do, which is, it's not about me. It's about everybody. It's about the planet. And if people would come together and support me and what I'm doing, um, I'm not trying to get rich. I'm trying to enrich. That's right. That's a good way to say it. And it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, come back again uh, when the debut of your next book. I would love to uh, carry on this conversation. It's been lovely having you on the Paranormal and the Sacred. And come back soon and take care, Ron. Thank you so much. Sure. Anytime you want to have me, you let me know. Awesome. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, so uh, it's been an awesome show, and I would like to thank everybody for tuning in, and uh, it's been a great show, and uh, I was just doing a little uh, something to, to the message to my chatters that uh, we're now on recording, but uh, Pamela Nectarios is going to be our guest next week. That's on the 10th. It's, it's uh, April 10th, next Friday, and she is a healer, card reader, and all kinds of this stuff, and it's a uh, she's very interesting. She's been on our show one time before, and she's one of the uh, starborns of Maine. So tune in next week, and we'll be happy to uh, take your questions. And also, she might do a couple readings for people. So see you next week, and uh, follow the links to contact me and leave a message if you'd like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance. Of course, you can write me. Snail Mail, Char McCain, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California. And you can write me a note there. Well, you know, the paranormal is sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. And please recommend us to your friends and family. And we want to thank Ron James once again for an astonishing show. He taught us a lot. And God bless everybody. May your best dreams come true. And may true love live in your heart. God bless you and good night. See you next week. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.